0: He was the first undrafted quarterback inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. How can that be? Because Warren Moon is black, and back in 1978, NFL teams would only switch him to receiver. But Warren Moon was born to throw the ball. So after five triumphant years in the Canadian League, where he played in the same city and became good friends with the great one, Wayne Gretzky, Warren went to the Houston Oilers, where he directed the run and shoot the grandfather of the spread offense. I talked to Warren about everything from today's young quarterbacks to how he owes considerable success to, yes, a perfect manicure. He was the only boy born in the middle of six sisters, so Warren says he can cook and sew, but change a spark plug? Forget it. Facing discrimination almost all his life, Warren Moon shows us why he wore the number one. Thank you for joining us. It's, uh, I felt, um, you know, how many people can talk about the quarterback position at such a high level and talk about longevity and then thank you for popping up on the screen.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Leslie. You know, we go back a long way and, uh, I have a lot of respect for your career and we have the, uh, we have the similarity of going in the Hall of Fame the same year. So that's something that's always going to be special. We'll always be linked together because of that.
0: I always have so many pictures from that day the first Black quarterback and the first woman. So we are eternal. Save me a dance.
1: Are eternal. We're the first timers.
0: <laughs> now old timers. Uh, tell me, um, you know, one thing I never asked you about, but I always want to know is um, tell me the mechanics of your, the way you threw. You know, it was such a tight spiral, but. Y- I don't know if you would teach it because, you know, you kind of leaned back into it and then sort of loaded up your front leg. But you, you really opened that left arm.
1: You know, um, and when I try and t- teach kids football or teach uh, high school guys football or college, it's not something that you can tell everybody how to do it exactly. Because everybody has their own style. Everybody has their own body chemistry, even as something as simple as holding the football and I just try and tell them whatever is comfortable for them, make sure that's what you do every time. Just, just do it the same way every time. But but there's no way I can tell you, okay, you hold it like this. Like if you look at Troy Aikman and, and uh, Terry Bradshaw, they put their forefinger almost all the way back at the tip of the football. Well, I couldn't do that. I couldn't throw the ball. Like I tried to do that just to see if I could do it. I can't do it like that. So everybody has to do what's comfortable for them. And then you go from there. But um, I tried I tried to throw the football not just all with my arm. I, I also tried to incorporate my upper body with my torso, uh, and I also wanted to get my legs involved, almost like a pitcher. You know, I read um, Nolan Ryan's book. I read Oral Hershiser's book about pitching and, and about how they uh, they threw the baseball. And I tried to incorporate some of that into my football throwing and, and incorporate my whole body into the throw. And consequently, because of that, I never got a sore arm um when i was coming up as i got older young, younger quarterbacks would be with me in different training camps they would always get sore arms from the amount of times we had to throw the ball in training camp because of all the numbers but i never did because i had a great stretching program that i learned from from nolan ryan reading his book of uh, the way i iced down my arm and then the way i threw the football i tried to use my whole body so i didn't put all that pressure on my arm
0: it, Is it true that uh you were quite precise about how you would manicure your nails, and that was <laughs> part of the success of that spiral?
1: It really was, and, and if you uh, if you looked at the footballs after I threw them sometimes, you'd see these little cut marks in the football from my forefinger, because if my fingernail was the right, the right length, that ball spun like a top, and, and uh, if it ever, like a couple of different times during pregame warmups and in games, my nail would actually crack. And you, you're talking about a guy who just went into stress mode, you know? <laughs> I, had, I had like a, I had like a anxiety attack when, when my nail broke. It's like, oh, I got to get this thing fixed, and I got to get it filed back down so I can throw the football. So, yeah, it was something that uh, was almost like a superstition, but it was also something physically that had to be done right in order for me to feel good about throwing the ball. If I threw a ball in warm-ups and it wobbled, there had to be something wrong with the ball. <laughs> <I> would, <laughs> I would spin the ball. I would spin the ball up in the air to see if it had a warp in it or not, because it couldn't have been me.
0: That ball had some nerve. <laughs> Did are there is there any young quarterback today who reminds you of the way you threw? And then just tell me in general what you think of all the young quarterbacks.
1: Well, there's so many good young ones in the league right now. And that was something I was concerned about, about maybe four or five years ago as tom brady got older as drew Brees got older as as um Phillip rivers got older and, and ben roethlisberger and all these guys i'm wondering okay who's going to fill the void for all these great quarterbacks that are getting ready to leave the game and then all of a sudden you know a patrick mahomes comes into the league and then the deshaun watson a russell wilson was you know kind of already there uh josh josh allen comes into the game so this this league right now is just full of, of uh, very talented young quarterbacks. Uh, Lamar Jackson being another one. Already has won an MVP you know, in his first three years. So the league is in very, very good shape that way. And all these guys not only are doing great on the field, but they're representing the league in a good way, especially throughout this whole social justice thing that we've been going through, where they've been lending their voices, um, showing that leadership from that side of it, not just on the football field, but also in their community. So, That part of it, I I feel really good about. Um, But yeah, young quarterbacks are are important because of the role that they play. You could almost say that the quarterback in a city, sometimes in the 32 cities around the National Football League is probably more popular than the mayor of that city. Uh, (laughs) I think think more people might know the quarterback's name than they would know the mayor name in in a city. Quarterbacks have tremendous visibility, tremendous leadership abilities within their community if they use it. And these guys are using it, and that's what I love about
0: it. Yeah, particularly Patrick Mahomes. You know, you do see a lot of the Black Lives Matter. They've become leaders. Do do you ever worry about, uh, as someone who threw for 35 miles in your career, and I don't know how many miles you ran, but do you ever worry about... A Kyler Murray or a Lamar Jackson? Does that running catch up with you?
1: It can. Uh, we've seen it catch up with a lot of the guys in the past. You know, Randall Cunningham used to be a, quite a dynamic runner, and he ended up breaking his leg. I think Michael Vick, the same thing happened to him later in his career. So that's something you have to really be worried about when these guys are taking off running the ball. The game isn't as physical today, I think, as it was when we played. They protect the quarterback a lot, a lot more, but you just never know that freak thing could happen where a guy comes in. He's not meaning to be late, but he comes in and hits a guy, you know, at the wrong time or hits him late. And next thing you know, uh, his career is in jeopardy. So yeah, I always tell these guys, and this is what Russell Wilson probably does better than any other quarterback that I've seen in over the last 15 years or so. He knows how to get down the ground. He knows how to get out of bounds. He, he's a baseball player. So he knows how to slide. And, uh, He's running for as many, many yards as anybody, but he doesn't take big hits and he hasn't missed a game in his career. So there's a reason for that. He plays very, very smart when he does run the football, even though he is a dual threat quarterback. So these other guys just need to take some some pointers from him on. Don't try and get those extra yards that probably aren't necessary at that particular time. Get your butt on the ground. Get your butt out of bounds and be ready for the next play, because that's your, uh, your your best ability is your availability to your team.
0: Does it make you smile now when you see everyone has a spread offense? And my God, that's what you were running 30 years ago.
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, I love it. And, and, you know, back when I was doing it, everybody thought it was a gimmick to, to be in the run and shoot or, uh, you know, running this offense with four wide receivers spread out all over the field and throwing the ball all over the place. Now that's what everybody does. The biggest difference is these tight ends that they have now are hybrid tight ends that you can also have a tight end on the field at all times, but you split those guys out. They're almost like a wide receiver, the way they can run. So we didn't have a tight end on our roster when we were in the run and shoot. Uh, And that was one of the things that uh, made it tough for us to to, um, end ball games because you didn't have that running game threat. It was always a passing thing. So uh, that's what I love about the game today. It has a little bit more versatility. But they're doing the same things we were doing, same pass combinations, same route combinations. And uh, I like to think I played a little bit of part in that.
0: <laughs> why Why were you perfect for the run and shoot?
1: So my versatility, because I could, I could throw on the run, I could throw from the pocket, I could run the football if I needed to. Uh, we actually ran the option, <laughs> believe it or not, out of the run and shoot. We had a a called option play that if they were going to run an all out blitz and I saw it and read it, especially down the goal line, they had nobody to account for me because defenses don't usually account for the quarterback to run the football. So when everybody's coming, if I, if I uh, audible to that, to that option, I come down the line of scrimmage. The only, there's only one guy left over there and he has the running back. So he either has to take me or the running back. And usually if he tried to come to me, I just pitch it. And it was a walk-in. Or if he ran for the running back, I just walked in. So it was almost an automatic play whenever we ran it down around the goal line.
0: Well, is it is there some responsibility or pressure even for a quarterback in that kind of offense or today to keep a lot of people happy?
1: It is because, you know, wide receivers are divas. <laughs> <And they laughs> this all, just in. And they all want the football. But I understand their plight because you got to look at the, the quarterback Touches the ball every play, right? Every play on the offense, pretty much. The running back is going to get anywhere from 15 to 25 carries, depending on how good he is. A receiver, if he gets six or seven passes thrown to him, that's considered a a big day, but that's not touching the ball that much. So they just want the ball more. I understand why they are the way they are, because they want the ball more. But if you can get eight, 10 balls a game, that's good for a wide receiver. But still, that's nowhere near what a running back might get or the quarterback touching the football and throwing the football. So I understand why they like the ball as much as they do. And I want receivers that want the football. I played with Chris Carter in in Minnesota, and he wanted the ball all the time, and especially in big-time situations. You want that. You just have to know how to curtail curtail it a little bit as far as – okay, Chris, I understand you're open every play. I understand you want to get the ball here or there, and I will get you the football. But it's all got to be within the rhythm of the offense. And, of course, if there's certain situations where you need a big play, you're going to call up his number. So that's why you have a number one receiver. But, yeah, as a quarterback, you're almost like a point guard distributor. You're trying to get everybody involved, trying to keep everybody motivated so they're running their routes hard all the time, knowing that they're always going to have a chance to maybe catch a ball.
0: I, uh, I love that team. I covered your team in 94. We all talk about Tom Brady, but weren't you about 50 years old then?
1: <laughs> Not quite at that time, oh, but uh, okay. I was up there. I was, what if I, 94, I was probably 36, 37 years old, but, um, uh,
0: did you start for Seattle when you were in your forties?
1: I, I did. I started and I made the pro bowl and was the MVP of the pro. You were the
0: bowl. MVP. That's right. I
1: 41 years old. <laughs>
0: well, what is, what was yours and what is Tom Brady? How is this happening?
1: You know, I think it's, it's a lot of things. Uh, if you look at the way Tom takes care of himself, he does it as probably as well as anybody, as far as the diet that he has, the things that he's cut out of, out of, um, his diet, um, so that's it starts right there and then the way he trains um he trains as, as well as anybody in the off season. you know he trains with his quarterback coach tom house who has really helped him develop his passing abilities and i think his his arm is even stronger now than it was when he was probably 25 you know 30 years old um he has a lot of pop on his ball and again because i watch him and the way he uses his whole body in his throw. He's doing the same things that I talked to you about earlier. He gets everything involved in the throw, and I think that's why his ball has more pop in it now. Um, And then he he has just a competitive fire that you you just don't see in a lot of guys, and it, it just keeps him going. It keeps him wanting to play and want more. And you would think after seven Super Bowls, what else does the guy want? But he just wants to get the most out of his body, knowing that once he's done and he can't play this game at this level anymore, there's no going back. So he wants to try and get as much of it as he possibly can. And that's what most guys try and do out of this game. But he's just one of those guys, like in other sports, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played to he was 42. You saw uh, George Foreman boxing at 50. And, and uh, there's certain guys that can just play sports a little bit longer than others. And Tom happens to be one of those in football.
0: Do you think more of them could, if, uh, or, or is it a mindset that I'm willing to give up sodas a beer uh pizza i mean how many people do you know who can live like that
1: yeah i know it it takes tremendous discipline but i think when you're seeing the results that he's seeing it makes it easy to to follow that routine Um, and then some guys bodies just just don't perform at that same level you know that whole old saying that father time is undefeated well father time hits all of us at different times And I'm sure if Drew Brees could still play at the level that he played, he'd still be out there playing. I'm sure if Philip Rivers could play at the same level. He'd still be out there playing. But but, you know, at a certain time when you can't play what you're used to playing at, you don't want to play anymore. And that's why you move on. But Tom hasn't hit that point yet. And uh, there's a, there's those reasons that I that I pointed out over the reasons why he's probably still playing at a high level, and he has a very very talented football team around him that helps.
0: Yeah, well, did uh, what did you give up, and then what did you get as an older quarterback? Like, what are I don't know the skills, the velocity, what goes, but what do you get?
1: You know, you hear the saying the game slows down. There's no question the game slows down no matter. How fast a guy might be on on the corner or defensive end or whatever you just have a sense of what's going to happen before it's going to happen, and and when you get to that that space. Now it's just a matter of physically, can you get the ball where you need to get it to or or get the play call that you need to get called in order to to be successful because. um, Having the game slow down like that where Okay, I know this is going to be covered too right here and where I want to go with the football. You you almost know that immediately as you walk up to the line of scrimmage. And and it makes it so much easier where to go go with the football, where you can go up and, and eliminate, you know, three routes out of the pattern and say, okay, I'm going to work only these two because I know these three aren't going to work on this side, or vice versa. It makes it so much easier to, to um to uh the call to play <laughs> just become a quarterback and, and and be a quarterback you know so that's what you that's what you give up but what you lose is you lose that some of that physical ability you lose um being able to maybe move around and run as much as you used to before it's a lot harder to get ready to play the next week your body hurts a little bit longer maybe a day or two more than it did when you were younger so maybe by Thursday you're starting to feel yourself again as as opposed to you know being being yourself by tuesday so Those are the things you give up. And then you do more in your preparation. It took a lot more preparation throughout the week. You know, I I would see a chiropractor twice a week. I had a massage twice a week. I went to uh, acupuncture sometimes, you know, once during a week, depending on how physical it was. And I had a whole routine I did for my arm. Uh, I had my weight program, and then I tried to eat right. So all those different things went into it to get yourself ready to play.
0: Of course, you were ahead of the game there too. I think I read where. LeBron spends about $2.5 million a year just on his training and on his diet and his exercise. What was the adjustment? You had such a blockbuster career in the CFL. What was the biggest adjustment to the NFL?
1: Uh, I think for me, it was just getting used to playing with new players. I had played on the same team with the same guys, you know, for six years. Now the, the CFL game is totally different. It's three downs, totally different strategy wider field so you're doing different things as far as on the move but I think the game up there helped me become a much more um, versatile player being able to throw on the run and throw from the pocket um, but when I came back to the NFL I knew that um, that wasn't going to be a hard adjustment the biggest adjustment was going to be learning my teammates learning what their strengths and weaknesses were especially um, your wide receivers in that learning their body chemistry and that And then learning all the personalities of your players, because as a a quarterback, you have to kind of know everybody on your football team and know what buttons to push, what guys might need a word of encouragement, what guy might need a kick in the butt, all those different things. So you, you as a player coming in new to all of this, you have to learn all those things on the fly because you don't have much time before that first game comes. So that was the biggest thing for me as far as adjustments.
0: Was it Jeffries? Who's the one who would do the somersault? in the end zone.
1: That's uh, Ernest Gibbons. Gibbons. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, what was his personality?
1: Oh my God. He was, we called him like the mini Michael Jackson. He was always dancing and always had some type of dance routine, always came up with things like that. He had this shimmy shake that he would do after some, some touchdowns he had something new going on all the time. And, uh, he was quite a character, but what a really good football player.
0: You know, I always wondered uh, you were, of course, the highest. Everyone was bidding for you when you decided to come to the NFL. And why would you pick the Oilers? They were terrible.
1: Yeah, I think that was one of the reasons. It was um, it was a challenge. You know, when I went to the University of Washington out of uh, junior college, they were two and nine the year I went up there. And it was a new program, Don James' his first year. Uh, and I wanted to be a part of something that was that was uh, going to grow and, and wanted to go to, to a Rose Bowl, take a team to a Rose Bowl. We eventually did that in my senior year. But when I went to to Houston, it was kind of the same thing. Um, my Canadian football league coach, Hugh Campbell, was named head coach in Houston. So so I went there based on the, the success that I had had with him in Canada, winning five championships. Somebody that knew me, knew my personality that would make my transition that much easier. And then, um, you know, of course, they gave me the, a very good financial package as well. But uh it was a challenge of trying to build something that was at the bottom, and, and uh, we eventually did that. We didn't get all the way to the promised land as far as winning a Super Bowl, but we were a, a perennial playoff team every year and had some great years.
0: Didn't you go from making – what was your rookie contract in Edmonton against – didn't they pay $5 million when you got to the Oilers?
1: Yeah. I, I, my first contract in, in uh, Canada, I think I got a $35,000 bonus. My first year was 35,000, it was 45,000 and 55,000. But I never got to the 55. I ended up signing a, a new deal after the second year, and I went up to 250,000. So it was a huge, huge raise for me, but <laughs>
0: buy some snowshoes.
1: <laughs> it wasn't uh, like what I got when I came back down to the national football League.
0: Hey, did you ever hang around? I'm sure you went to see Wayne Gretzky when you were up there?
1: All those guys were um, at the same time as me, the the, um, the Oilers were were winning, uh, I think they won four out of five Stanley Cups at the same time we won five breakups. So we kind of renamed and they renamed our city of Edmonton, the city of champions. As you drive into the city, there's a big sign that says city of champions. We won like nine championships within a 10-year period. So a very, very successful uh, city during that run. And uh, Wayne Gretzky and Yari Curry and all those guys were all on the team at the time when I was still playing with the Oilers. I was, I think, in my early 20s, 21, 22, 23, 24, and Wayne was probably like 19, 20, 21, right in that area. So, yeah, that's where I got my indoctrination just to uh, hockey because I didn't know much about hockey coming from Los Angeles, California. I knew we had a hockey team, the Kings, but didn't know much about them. But uh, I learned a lot about hockey up there and watching those guys skate. And they were amazing the way they skated.
0: Did he even a young Wayne Gretzky? Did did it take your breath away?
1: It, it really did. He he just was like a man playing with boys the way he uh, played. And he was he wasn't a, a, a big physical presence out on the ice, but just the way he skated and the way he moved, it was just uh, it was like poetry the way he played out there.
0: Did. Uh... You know, the reason you went to Washington wasn't just because it was a challenge. We all know it's because Coach James was willing to, wanted to play you at quarterback. When you tell young people, young quarterbacks now, young Black quarterbacks about your story, do they find it almost impossible to believe?
1: Yeah, they do. And because of, you know, the way things have changed now, and they're all getting opportunities to play the position, um, they just never knew, you know, how difficult it was. And and I tell them to just read the history of the African-American quarterback, at the position. If you think I had it, tough, you look at a Marlon Briscoe or you look at a Joe Gilliam or, or uh, some of the other you know, great players that never got an opportunity to play the game at that position. They all got changed to something else or got benched or, or never got a chance to play, even though they were there. There was a guy by the name of Eldridge Dickey, who was uh, first round draft pick, first ever African-American quarterback drafted in the first round by the Raiders but never got a chance to play a game in the regular season and this guy was unbelievable and Kenny Stabler was drafted right after him I think in the third round or whatever Um, and he's the one that ended up getting to play and we all know what happened Kenny's career he goes all the way to the Hall of Fame but uh, Eldridge Dickey was a guy that they just didn't they just didn't want to let him play because of his skin color and I, I remember a story I heard that they went down to Alabama to play a uh, an exhibition game, and the people in Alabama were going to boycott the game if he played quarterback, so he wasn't able to play quarterback in that game. so it, it's just amazing uh, you know some of the stories that some of those guys had to go through, and that, that's why I was determined, uh, even though I knew it was going to be tough. Choosing to play that position at a position where a lot of guys didn't look like me and I didn't really have a whole lot of mentors to feed off of, I was just determined that I wanted to make it happen so I could help open the doors for that next group of guys and maybe they got more opportunity.
0: What were the code words that you'd hear in high school? I mean, you were great in high school. You were great in junior college. As you said, took Washington to the Rose Bowl. Uh, But what would you hear from NFL people?
1: Stuff like my arm wasn't strong enough, which was probably my strongest, my strongest um, attribute problem um, that I wasn't big enough. You know, I was I'm the same size now that I was in college. far as yeah. height. People said I was too, too short. Um, didn't come out of a pro style offense. All, all these different things that all they had to do is really just tell me the truth. And uh, I would have accepted that better than, than telling me that I couldn't throw the football. Give me a break. Um,
0: You know, back to your, we talked about it, but in case some people listening won't have heard it, you know, your background uh, was was not particularly easy, but you had a a very loving family. But what did you learn by growing up with six sisters?
1: Patience. (laughs) (laughs) I learned a lot of patience. People tell me that to this day, you are so patient. You just listen to people and you listen to what they say. And I'm like cuz I had to do that living in my house cuz when there's seven women living there they're all talking at the same time you don't have a chance to get a word in so you just you end up listening and a lot of times I've learned from women that they don't they don't really want answers to the question they just want you to hear them they want you to hear them out so I've learned to do that and, I, and I've become a very patient person because of that and because of of that throughout my football career made me a very patient um, a very patient man, as far as things that didn't happen to me when they probably were supposed to happen to me, I had patience to wait and keep on working to make sure they happened.
0: But is it true that you can cook and sew, but changing a spark plug, forget it?
1: That will not happen. I I don't. I can't change the oil in a car. I I might put water in a radiator, but they don't have radiators anymore on cars. <laughs> but uh, I can do anything around the house. My mother taught me to cook when I was, you know, seven, eight years old. And uh, I, I used to sew. I, I love to iron. I, I love to do laundry. It relaxes me. You know, it gives me something else to to do where I'm not thinking about, you know, other business things or whatever. Like my mother taught me to bake cookies when I was in high school. The night before my, my high school games, I would get really nervous and really irritable. So she wanted to do Something so to, to help me get my mind distracted off of the game. So she taught me how to bake chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> and, that, and they became so good that I turned it into a business when I went to Canada and opened five <laughs> chocolate chip cookie stores because of that. So, really, yeah, so I became an entrepreneur at like 24 years old.
0: Pretty, pretty well rounded there. I picture you were you like a serious kid who lined up your pencils on the desk? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I really was. I remember my first wife, uh, I met her in high school. She was my first girlfriend, 16 years old, and I met her in in my math class. We had the same math class. And she asked me one day, could she have a pencil, because she forgot a pencil. And and my response to her was, you need to come to, to class prepared. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, very nice <laughs>
1: and i and i gave her the pencil but from then on you know we became uh, very good friends and then, all, then boyfriend girlfriend next thing you know we're married but yeah that, that's that's kind of how i was i carried a briefcase around in high school believe what it wait
0: one. stop there <laughs> no stop this is in the middle of the 70s early 70s in la
1: yeah, <laughs> I did. I had everything in there, all my athletic stuff, all my school stuff. And, and you know, people called me kind of nerdy until they saw me get out on the football field or, or, or play sports. Then they knew I wasn't a nerd. But, um, yeah, just the way I the way I, I carried myself, the, the creases I had in my pants, the, you know, where, where I'd iron them and put starch on them and starch my shirts and everything. I was I was. I was dressed up in high school.
0: You know, you're kind of describing Urkel
1: <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Urkel was some athleticism, basically. That's who I was. <laughs> I didn't have these glasses on at the time, but these glasses make me look a little like Urkel too.
0: Tell me what your thoughts are on Cam Newton. Uh, what do you think happened, and what do you think what should happen with him?
1: You know, I just hope he finds some place where he can fit in and uh, and and, and I don't know if he'll ever get back to what he was back in 2015, 16, when he had a couple of great years, because he's got a lot of wear and tear on that body. He's taken a lot of hits, and, and I'm sure it's um, played a part in him not being the same player. And none of us are the same player. He's 32 years old now, um, but his body's probably more like 36, 37 years old from all the punishment he's taken the young kid Mac Jones did a great job this this preseason and when you draft a guy in the first round at some point they're going to put him on the field the patriots just felt like he's ready to play now by what they saw during the preseason i don't know how i don't know how much the vaccination thing had to do with it but i'm sure it played a little bit of a part in it because you he, he had two different bouts with it last year and this year and you want your quarterback to be available to you all the time you don't want to have to worry about is he going to you know is he going to contract the virus this week or not and uh, now all of a sudden that sets your your football team back so I think that might have had some play into it Um, and maybe it'll make him think a little bit stronger about maybe getting vaccinated I'm not sure
0: yeah because it uh the rules are now you know you you can impact people on your team yeah so it could cost you a game somewhere along the way. It costs you a
1: game, it could cost guys paychecks because they don't get paid for those games when they forfeit them because of that. So, yeah, there's a lot of repercussions because of it. And um, I'm sure the Patriots looked at all of that, but I'm sure the main thing was if he could still play and play at a high level, they're not going to get rid of him.
0: Do, do you feel, do you have a feeling on it that it would be better for the team that vaccination shouldn't have become political?
1: Oh, yeah, I I hate that fact because we've been vaccinated all our lives. I mean, we're vaccinated for polio and all these other different things when we're young kids. Why, Why all of a sudden now when you've got this major pandemic, everybody's begging for a vaccine a year ago or a year and a half ago. Now all of a sudden we get one and now it's a bad thing. So it's unfortunate because, you know, people are still dying. People are still getting sick. And this is something that we could, we could solve. We could solve it very, very quickly if people would just get smart. But everybody wants to you know, listen to, to uh, conspiracy theories. They want to listen to their, their um, politicians. And a lot of those politicians are vaccinated, I guarantee you, but they're, telling, but they're not telling their constituents to, to get vaccinated. So it, it's just a hypocritical thing. And, and it really makes me sick because you see all these people that are suffering from this.
0: Is uh, I don't know if you changed your mind with because they're so talented now, but do you feel that young quarterbacks should sit and watch for a year, or has that kind of gone out the window these days?
1: You know, Leslie, it, it's it depends on what they're coming into. It depends on what they have around them. I think if you can surround a guy like I think Mac Jones is in a really good situation in New England because their defense is going to be really good this year. They have a really good running game. More importantly, they have a really good offensive line. So he doesn't have to carry the football team. But you look at a guy like um, the kid Wilson in uh, in New York, he's going to have a tough time because they just don't have as great a roster and they're going to be asking him to do a lot as a starter week one. Uh, same thing with Trevor Lawrence. Um, he's going to have some tough sledding there in the beginning just because their roster isn't as great as some of the others. But we've seen guys like... Ben Roethlisberger, when he came in as a, as a rookie and he had Jerome Bettis behind him and he had that great Steeler of defense. Those are things that help a young quarterback have success early. Um, and, and there's been other guys like Joe Flacco, you know, great great defense with Ray Lewis and those guys on one side of the ball. But you had Jamal Lewis behind you, you know, running for 1,300 yards. So it helps you have success as a young rookie. So I can look at both sides of it and, and say, yeah, you should play this guy now or you shouldn't but I think a lot of it has to do with first of all, is he ready? how how does he perform, and then what does he have as a supporting cast to make his job easier?
0: Is there anything to that it can be institutional, how well a team does that you mentioned Zach Wilson and the jets they they have a great coach, they hired a you know a great young coach. but You know, no one's picking them to go anywhere again. Whereas, you know, certainly in your time, Houston was competing. And then uh, the Cowboys have had great success. The Steelers, the 49ers, the Patriots. Can there be an institutional cultural success built in?
1: I think it can, but it starts from the top. You know, it starts with your ownership and uh, how committed they are. The Jets, to me, seem like a team that just seems you know, cursed in some ways, you know, again, this year, they've lost two or three of their best players. That they brought in uh, the Carl Larson Lawson kid from uh, from Cincinnati who's supposed to come in and be one of the best pass rushers. He's already gone for the year. I think they lost a linebacker uh, to another major injury. I mean, they, they just seem to they take one step forward and two steps backwards because they can't keep a, a healthy football team on the field. So, you know,
0: I remember, um... Nate Newton once told me they were the rudest fans that <laughs> they, they were uh, they yeah, they they are. Are.
1: compared to the are. Giants, they're, they're definitely <laughs> a more rowdier bunch than the Giants fans.
0: <laughs> well, Nate, Nate said he was running off the field at halftime and there were a bunch of guys, you know, all leaning over. And one of them yelled out, Nate, in this stadium, it's one player per uniform. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was with the Oilers one time and we had a kicker named um, Ian Halfield. It was Bobby Halfield's um, son. Bobby Halfield used to be a kicker for the Jets, right? And Ian was a kicker for our team, and he had missed a field goal, and he came off the field, he was all dejected, and then one of the fans said, Hey, Howfield, your dad sucked, and you suck, too.
0: <laughs> it was like that kid in Airplane, right, going up to Kareem. My dad says you didn't play defense. You tried dragging Lambeer up and down exactly. the court. <laughs> God. Oh, all right, love. I've had a blast. I always have a blast talking to you. Can we do it a couple times more? Do it anytime
1: you want me, you know you got
0: me. Thank you. Thanks, Warren. I
1: appreciate it. Good to talk to you, Leslie.
0: And that was my conversation with Warren Moon. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today on Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you stream your podcast to enjoy new episodes every week. In Conversation with Leslie Visser is part of the SiriusXM podcast network and is available on the SXM app included with most subscriptions. The executive producer is the great Andrew Emmer, sound design by Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM, and special thanks to Sirius XM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Talk to you next week. Sirius XM Podcasts.